Good morning, church. How are we? Good, good. Uh, Brad actually will be preaching here in a couple weeks, so end of October he'll be with us. Uh, so we're thankful for that and get to hear an update, and he'll have an encouraging update about facility as well. So we look forward to having him join us. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Ben Hurd. I'm the senior pastor, and I get to ask us to open our Bible. So open your Bible to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. We are going to be finishing up Acts next week. So it's been a great journey and it's almost over. Acts 27 is where we're at today. It was the summer of 2001. Uh, The reason why I remember that is because that was the year I bought my first car. And it was a brand new 2001 silver Ford Focus. I know you guys are all jealous of that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I remember it was the summer because I uh, had picked up, uh, I wanted to get a spoiler put on it. So you guys know what a spoiler is? It's like a little fin on the back. Nothing fancy, not like those big, high, tall ones, just like a, a simple thing. And so I wanted to get that, and I got a call that day from the dealer saying it was ready. And uh, we lived five minutes away at the time, and so my dad, along with my nephew, who was one at the time, uh, they took me to get my car. And you know, how many of you have ever been outside and you hear like storm sirens go off? You ever you hear that? Now, how many of you have just ignored those because nothing ever happens? <laughs> so that's exactly what we did. We just ignored it. Like we're, eh, it's five minutes away anyway. It's going to take five minutes to get there, uh, five minutes to get the car. We'll be back in no time. And so we just ignored the sirens. It looked a little dark, but, you know, how many times have I heard sirens and nothing ever happens? So we go get the car. No issues. Bring the car back, and on the way, all of a sudden, it starts to rain, and it gets really windy. And I'm like, I got to jet inside very quickly, assuming my dad, who was following behind, would do the same with my nephew. And so I get out, jump inside, and look around, and look back behind me, and realize my dad stayed in the car. And so my mom and I were in the living room wondering, what is he doing? Why is he coming out here? And then things got progressively worse, and my mom opens the door just to kind of see, is he coming in? And Opened the door to be ready for him to come, and wouldn't you know, uh, the wind picked up so badly that it just completely broke the door. And so, like a smart person, I sat there holding the door shut. Uh, While I looked out, the wind was blowing horizontally, and the trees across the way were literally bending over, and some actually snapped in half, and I'm just sitting there watching it. (laughs) Uh, Wise, right? And meanwhile, my dad is in the car with my nephew, cowering uh, through this storm. Well, thankfully, uh, after a few minutes, the storm was gone, the sun came out, and we went outside and and observed the damage, And, and it was a tornado that had come through our neighborhood. Uh, there were half the trees across the streets were just in half. Uh, we, my parents lost a tree in their yard. And we actually went and looked at the back of the garage. And the wind was blowing so strong that you could see the concrete base outside because it had blown the, door, the back of the garage in. That's how strong it was. Uh, and then to make matters worse, what's so frustrating for me is that this brand new car, I had branches that had scraped uh, a couple places uh, super frustrating. The reality was, I was not prepared for the storm. I, I, uh, I ignored the signs. I ignored the truth. Like, when you hear a siren, you should get cover. I ignored those things. My dad didn't look to get out of danger right away. Instead, he thought he would just pass it through in the van. We were unprepared. And I wonder how many of us 
are unprepared when the storms of the Christian life come our way. You see, we look, we look at Acts here, and Paul is about to go through a storm. He is about to endure yet another trial on his journey. And as we talked about last week, he had given his testimony. He had declared the truth of how God rescued him. And now he is making his way to Rome. And what we're going to see is a man who, no matter what came his way, kept his faith firm in the Lord, despite the raging storm around him. So in, prep in preparation of hearing from God this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are desperate for you this morning. We need you. And Father, I find great hope knowing that you will hold us fast. Your love for your people is beyond anything we can fully grasp. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of your word this morning, God, that we're going to face storms. We're going to face hard times. And in the midst of those, Lord, I pray that you would hold us fast. God, that we would place our faith in you because you are worthy of it. God, we need you this morning. I pray for encouragement. I pray for conviction. I pray that we would leave here having drawn near to you this morning. And so, God, we need you, and we thank you that you meet with your people. Where two or more are gathered in your name, you are surely with us. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Again, as I mentioned in chapter 26, Paul stood before Festus and King Agrippa and many of the Jews who were accusing him. He spoke of the need to repent. He shared how Christ met him on the road to Damascus. It completely transformed his life. Ultimately, though, King Agrippa, even though he didn't find anything wrong with him, didn't find him guilty, sent him on his way to Rome. And that's where we find ourselves here this morning in Acts 27. So I'm going to jump into the scripture. We've got a lot to read. We're going to break it up in chunks. Um, but I want to show you a map here. Uh, if you want to follow along and look at the map as we're reading through, you can see he's supposed to be heading from Caesarea to Rome, and he's kind of all over the place. So if you want to follow that as I read, you can do that. But I'm going to read Acts 27, starting in verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Now, of course, uh, centurions were very wise, honorable men. And we're going to see here that, that Julius actually takes care of Paul. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. There we see him showing extra care to him. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. 
And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete uh, off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So in light of the storm of the Christian life, here's the first thing I want us to be aware of. The smooth sailing Christian life doesn't exist. (laughs) The smooth sailing Christian life doesn't exist. So we see here, as they're traveling to Rome, there are dangers everywhere. Just let me read some of these sentences again of how dangerous this journey was. Verse 7, they arrived with difficulty. Verse 8, coasting along with difficulty. Verse 9, since much time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous. And we see here that actually Paul advised them in verse 10, saying, Sirs, I perceived that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. So Paul's trying to warn them. He knows what's going to happen, and yet they do nothing about it. You see, the time frame here, this is around October, and ships really start to think about stopping even before this, even in like September. September through November, things get really dangerous, and then by the time the end of November comes, they're not traveling for a long time because of how dangerous it can be, but yet here they are, and instead of listening to Paul, we see in verse 11 that the, century, the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Now, I think we can understand that. I mean, you would think the pilot would know more about how to travel through the seas than Paul would. Nonetheless, Paul was right. Verse 14, soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. Verse 16, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. Verse 18, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. That just means they're starting to throw stuff overboard. So all the things that they had carried for their journey, they're just tossing overboard. They're losing 
everything. Verse 19, on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And then we read this in verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. Now, what would be the importance of the stars and the sun? Direction, right? They had no idea where they were going. No small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. I mean, Paul, once again, enduring something that no doubt he did not want to face. And how did he keep going? You ever ask yourself that? You look at Paul's life, like how did he just keep on moving along? The truth is he was a man of deep faith. And despite all of the setbacks that he went through, he continued to trust his Savior, and I think one thing he was very keen on, which helped him to persevere, was the very fact that the smooth sailing Christian life doesn't exist. Just think about where Paul came from. What was he doing before he was saved? He was giving Christians lots of storms to consider. He was persecuting them. He was there at Stephen when Stephen was stoned to death. And so he, he doesn't walk into this blind thinking that everything's going to go well for him. He, he knows what the cost is. He knows what the cost will be for following Christ. And so that allowed him to continue this journey because he didn't have this idea thinking that the Christian life was, was one of comfort and ease and no struggle. He wasn't surprised by that. One doesn't view what Paul went through and then come to Christ without sobering, without a sobering reality that the call to salvation is a call to die to oneself and perhaps even sometimes physically. You know, I think that same reality is true today for believers. We will suffer because of our faith in Christ. Let me ask you, believer, does your theology have room for suffering Christians? Does your theology allow for God to allow believers to go through hard things? This is an important thing for us to consider, we must understand that the Christian life is no guarantee for smooth sailing. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And let me just go through some scriptures here. I'm going to go through them pretty, pretty fast, but if you want to write these references down, let's consider what the Word says about Christians and suffering. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But here's the good thing. The Lord delivers him out of them all. May not be in this lifetime, but certainly in the life to come. He will remove all of our struggles, won't he? One day, but not on this earth. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for 
his sake. Scripture is clear. These are just three passages. We could look all over this understanding that suffering is part of the Christian life. It's a reality. It's one that we must grasp and come to understand. But here's the good news. Even though these things come, even though persecution come, even though afflictions come, we have the hope that Jesus clings to us. Consider what 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 10 says. Let me, actually, let me just have you turn there. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 10. Look there. It's, we got Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. Consider the hope that we find in these scriptures, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. You ever feel perplexed? Like, how could this be possible? How could this happen? Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Here's what we're going to talk about later. When we suffer well, that is a message to the world that we have a great Savior who clings to us, who keeps us hopeful despite what we are going through. This, this reminds me of a hymn that I once heard in a sermon that just like, has just like, humbled me. Perhaps you've heard of it. I, I, imagine, I imagine that most of us probably haven't, but it's from Isaac Watts, and the name of the hymn is, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? Let me just read the verses of this song. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, and shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? While others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Such deep theology. Thy saints in all this glorious war shall conquer, though they die. They see the triumph from afar by faith's discerning eye. When that illustrious day shall rise and all thy armies shine, in robes of victory through the skies, the glory shall be thine. Brothers and sisters, are you a soldier of the cross? If you are then let me help you understand that with the Christian life comes suffering. With the Christian life comes storms. So don't be surprised. In fact, be waiting for them, knowing that they're going to come. I've seen so many people who come to Christ with these grandiose ideas that life is just going to be easy and there's going to be no more struggles and the circumstances are going to disappear. Let me ask you this. Is life easier with Christ? Yes. But easier does not mean our circumstances are easier. The easier comes from the fact that we have a Savior who will hold us fast, right? He will never let you go. 
Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you is what he says in Scripture. The smooth sailing Christian life does not exist. Look at verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail for, from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. <laughs> like, can you, the boldness of Paul here. He's, he's sort of like the tattletale in school. You know, ah, 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 I tried to tell you. <laughs> like, he's, he's a little bold to be saying this. Verse 22, yet now I urge you to take heart. There will, there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So an angel of the Lord has come and said, Paul, look, God's already promised. You're going to Rome. Nothing's stopping that. And not only that, but everybody who is in the boat now, if, if they do what I say, they're going to make it safely. And what we're going to find here is the safety of the ship. Is it dependent on Paul at all? No. Are the lives of the people on this boat dependent on Paul? Did Paul do anything to save the men on this ship? The only thing he did is deliver the message from God of which he received. Verse 25, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Paul was reflecting, look, this is from God. This isn't for me. This isn't anything I can do. This is just what the Lord is telling me. And I'm giving that message back to you. Verse 27, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were, they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. So the, the water's getting shallower and shallower. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. What a long night that must have been. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the, boat, from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Now, now we could look at that and you think, well, why does this make sense? Like, at least some people could escape. But that, that, this goes to Paul's faith in God. Like, God, this is what the message God's told me, so we need to stick to it. So we're going to do something that only faith can lead us to do it, because it doesn't make sense from our human perspective. Verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. 14 days, two weeks without food. How many of you right now, you're like, please get over, Ben, so I can go eat lunch? 14 days. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Look, he, he's reminding them, God's delivering us here. We're not dying from this. You're going to need strength to swim to shore, so let's eat. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. I mean, just imagine, this is not like your little 
little, little yacht. This is a massive boat. 276 people are on board. And all of them are going to live. Only the Lord. Verse 38, And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them into the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then, so they're, they're, they're hoping it's just going to drive them naturally into this beach. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. So the back of the boat is just being crushed. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, again, a very noble man, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And this is the reason why Nikki will never go on a cruise with me. But here's what we see. Here's the promise. The key to the Christian life is faith in our promise-keeping God. What's the key to the Christian life? It's faith in the promise-keeping God. Paul was very adamant that the attention goes to God. This was not something he was conjuring up. This is not wishful thinking. He's delivering the news. Look at his God-centeredness as we Already read, verse 23, stood before an angel of God, of God who came and the God I worship. And he said, don't be afraid. You're going to stand before Caesar in Rome. God is granting all of those who say it with you. Not him. Not himself. God was going to deliver everyone to safety. And that's exactly what we see here. Exactly what we see. And notice Verse 35 just sticks out to me. I just find this amazing. So you got this boat that's being tossed to and fro for two weeks. They've just just been sailing, and they have no idea where they're at. There's no sun visible. There's no stars they can see, so there's no navigation. They have no idea where they're at. And Paul is thinking about food. How many of you have ever gotten seasick? (laughs) You got to take, what is it, what is it that you take for that? Is that Dramamine? Is that it or something different? You load up on that before you go on a boat ride. So this is, this is not like a, you know, just a, even though like the simple waves can make you sick. This is like wind and waves and it is crazy. And Paul is thinking about food. Verse 35, and when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. The last thing I'd be thinking about is food. But Paul's like prepping them. Hey, God is going to deliver us, and so let's do what we can do to get the strength that we need to be able to swim to shore. And notice, he gives thanks. The last thing I was thinking about in the midst of that tornado ripping through the neighborhood was giving thanks. Oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> but yet Paul, in the midst of the storm, he's, he's pausing because he has great faith in the God who he's praying to. He takes time to thank God. I believe genuine faith in God leads to thankfulness in him. Genuine faith in God leads to thankfulness in him. 
I mean, that leads us to ask the question, what exactly is faith? What, what is it? We say it a lot in church, but what does it actually mean? So keep your, keep your fingers here. Run, uh, turn to Hebrews towards the end of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as what chapter? The faith chapter, right? Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, so this is, this, I mean, look, consider the weight of the word assurance and conviction. These are not like wishy-washy. Like, oh, I wish, I sure hope that we're, we're going to Culver's for ice cream after church today. <laughs> I, I wish something would happen. I sure hope. No, this is like assurance. This is conviction. Paul was, had the conviction and the assurance that even though from a worldly perspective they were in imminent danger, he was safe in the arms of the Lord because the Lord had already given him promises and God, or Paul knew God as a promise-keeping God. And so therefore his faith was firm in the Lord. That's why he could take the time to thank God for what he was going to do. Verse 2 of Hebrews 11. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. We can't see things being created. The creation's already here. So we, by faith, believe that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Like we, we, we don't see creation happening. Creation's already here. It takes faith. Faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So the very idea of faith rests in trusting in something that you can't see with your eyes. Every one of you this morning has lived out faith on the way to church. How many of you came to a traffic light on the way to church? How many of you, if you came and it was already green, just went through without thinking twice? I'm just, I'm just trusting, have faith that everybody else is paying attention to this light, so I'm going to go right through. I didn't see any of you coming this morning and checking out the chairs, like, okay, this, oh, is this, is this going to be okay? Like, are the screws all here? Like, you didn't do that. Why? Because you had faith. Because week after week, you've came and sat in that chair, and that chair has never proved you wrong. Let me ask you, though, if on the way home from church today, you go through the traffic light that's been green for a long time, still green when you're going through it, and somebody sideswipes you, how many of you are going to be looking, taking double, triple takes the next time you come to a green light? Why? Because the object that you had put your, put your faith in didn't hold up to what you believed it would do. Or if you sat in your chair this morning and the chair just completely went out from underneath you, just broke, how many of you would think twice on the next chair you sat on? You see, faith is, is not based on the strength of the person who holds the faith. The strength is placed on what you put your faith in. And when what or who you put your faith in continues to prove himself faithful time and time and time again, your faith grows stronger. To where you grow that conviction, you grow that assurance. And for Paul, he has seen over and over again, God keep his promises. 
And remember, God's promises are not, I'm going to give you an easy life. I'm going to make you prosper. I'm going to make you healthy and wealthy. Like, that's not his promises. His promises, I'm going, to, I'm going to hold you. I'm going to take you to the end of life. But you know what? You're going to have struggles in this world. But I'm going to come again. And when you come home to me in glory, then everything's going to be done away with. Paul proved him, or God proved himself faithful over and over and over again. And therefore, he believed him. Let me ask you, when you find yourself in the storms of life, how is your faith? How is your faith in God when the waves are pounding against you, throwing you around? In those moments, are you able to give thanks to God who is always faithful? Consider what Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite chapters, if you can have a favorite chapter, this is my favorite chapter in the Bible. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. See, Paul may not have understood why he had to go through all he went through, but Paul did understand that whatever he would go through, God would use it for good. And we're about to see how God uses that for good. But, but too often, we're like Peter. Who sees Jesus walking on the water and like, that's pretty cool. Hey, Jesus, call me out. All right, come. Peter starts walking on the water. What happens? All of a sudden, he gets overwhelmed with the storm. He starts looking at the storm. He starts looking at his circumstances, realizing his circumstances aren't very great right now. And he has just compromised himself. And what did he do? He sank. He didn't keep his gaze and his focus on Christ. He, his gaze and his focus were on his circumstances. He had forgotten about his promise keeping God. If Jesus called him out and said, come, come, look at me, keep on me. If he would have believed that and stayed with it, he would have made it to him. When Paul was in the boat, how were things looking? The physical reality was that he was in danger. And yet his faith was not in his circumstances. His faith was in the God who held on to his circumstances. His faith was in the God who was sovereign over those circumstances. His faith was in the God who could work anything that happened to him for his good. Christian, are you in the word of God to be able to know what his promises are? We cannot expect to grow our faith in the Lord if we never open this book. If this is the first time since last Sunday that you opened the Bible, please, let me tell you this graciously. Like, you are filling your mind with something all week long, and if it's not the Word of God, it's something of the world. Don't be surprised when you find yourself swirling out of control, overwhelmed by your circumstances, because the circumstances are what you're dwelling on. It's not so much a punishment if we don't get in the Word as much as it is a natural consequence for filling our mind with things that aren't the Word of God. First John 5.3, this is the love of God. You heard me say this. I had the song memorized as a song. It helps me sometimes. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. 
1 John 5, 3. Do whatever you got to do to memorize God's word. Hide it in your heart that you might not sin against him. His commandments are not burdensome. Yet they're such great promises, but if we're not in the word, we don't know them. And if we don't know them, then our faith is going to suffer because we're not putting our faith in the promise-keeping God because we don't know what his promises are. That's what leads us sideways to think, God should make my life easy. Why is he not making it easy? Because we don't know the scriptures. Brothers and sisters, be students of the word because when we do that, we will find the key to the Christian life, and that is faith in our promise-keeping God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 28 of Acts. I'll put the map up there as we continue the journey here. You'll see where they ended up at. After, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled the fire and welcomed us all because it had be, be begun to rain and was cold. Here's God's grace. It's no accident. You guys know the story of Jim Elliott? and his travelers, and they went to the, the natives, and when they actually met with them, what ended up happening? They were killed. This is God's grace. They treated them with kindness. Verse 3, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hands. <laughs> Poor Paul. It just never ends. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. So they're, they're just expecting him. They're watching him like he's going to die. Like this is judgment. He just escaped. Man, poor guy. Surely he's guilty of something heinous here. But verse 5. He, however, <laughs> shook off the creature into the fire. How many of you are just like, eh, no big deal. Snake bit me. I'm good. And he suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up. Or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and, and said that he was a god. Don't you wish you were there? Like, does Paul just go on eating, like, food that they'd get in them, and they're just staring at him, waiting for him? Like, when's it going to happen? Like, you know, taking money up. All right, I got two minutes. I got two minutes on Paul. Five minutes, five bucks, two minutes. I wish we could know what was going on here. But they're staring at him, and nothing happens. He's fine. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius. So many names here in this passage. Who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. So this is, this is in light of, of Paul, like, getting bit by a viper. And they're like, okay, this is something's different about this guy. Verse 8, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited with him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when, he, when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Here's the last reality about the storms of the Christian life. The storms of life lead to greater ministry opportunities. The storms of life lead to greater ministry opportunities. So because they had no way to navigate, they end up on this island that they didn't even know what it was. 
is the island of Malta. And while he was there, Paul gets bit by a snake, a, one that should kill him, and they're waiting for him to pass out, to die, and he doesn't. And all the suffering that he had to endure, the shipwreck and, and all, has led him to have this ministry opportunity where he is invited to the house of the, the chief of the island. And here he encounters the chief's dad who is gravely sick, and Paul heals him. And all the people who are sick heard about it, and they bring him to Paul, and Paul heals them all. And no doubt, if you look at the character of Paul all throughout here, no doubt he is, he is giving the glory to the one who it belongs to. What an opportunity Paul had. But what if, what if Paul like, had a pity party? Like, come on, God. A shipwreck? Why can't we just get straight to Rome and get it over with? Oh, you're going to let me get bit by a snake now? Like, how many of you, like me, you'd just be like going in a corner somewhere thinking, I'm done. Like, I've, I've put up with enough for you, Lord. Like, when are you going to make things easier for me? And yet, it is relentless with Paul, and yet he holds fast. And he sees this as an opportunity for more ministry. Because of what happened to Paul, he was able to minister to these people. But you know what? I don't want us to think that he was untouchable, that Paul was like this superhero where nothing bothered him and he was just doing right and good and always had the right frame of mind at all times. He was one that suffered greatly. I want to turn with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Go to back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So we got Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. What we're going to find here is that Paul, Paul suffered, and it wasn't just always easy for him. It wasn't just like automatically give glory to God. But there was a reason why Paul suffered. And there's a reason why we suffer. 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you see God's grace there? Why, why do we go through storms of life so that God can encourage us? And whatever encouragement we receive because of what we're going through, we are then equipped to be able to encourage and care for those who go through similar things that we go through. The storms of life lead to greater ministry opportunities. It's not time for us to cower and move inward, which is our instinct. It's time, for, uh, it's time for humility. It's time to hear from the Lord. It's time to reach out. What comfort have you received? And then we re when we have received comfort, then we are able to comfort those around us. Look, it continues here. Verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So it's like, hey, I'm suffering so that I can bring comfort to you. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. You have that mindset? Oh, I'm, fear I'm, I'm, I'm going through this affliction. Man, what a perspective to have. Okay, Lord, help me to learn how then I can comfort those who are going through something similar. we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, 
which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. But lest we think that Paul was free from hopelessness, look at verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. How many of you find great comfort to know that the Apostle Paul didn't want to live anymore? What a, jo- what, a, what a gift for us to see that. So don't put Paul up here on this pedestal as some, like we worship Paul. We don't worship Paul. Paul would say, no, this is God's grace. If he's used me for anything good, it's because of God's grace. Paul despaired of life. Indeed, verse 9, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but there was a reason for Paul's suffering. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who, by the way, raises the dead. Does your God raise the dead? Is there anything that's too hard for your God? I think of Paul where it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, the most abused scripture in all, all of the Bible. It's not about sports. It's not about being able to throw a football 100 yards. It's not about being able to dunk a basketball or win a game. It's all about having a lot and having a little. I've learned the secret. I can do all things through Christ. I can live content. I can live through hard circumstances because I can do all things through Christ. That's what that verse is referring to. What a perspective that Paul had. The reason why he suffered was because he needed to realize, I can't rely on myself. Some of the greatest lessons we learn from storms is to realize we are dependent. Some of you are so stubborn to think you can handle it all. So you refuse to let anybody in, and yet you're sitting there suffering. God is wanting you to have your eyes open to the fact that you can't rely on yourself. Rely on me. There are other people who have gone through the same thing you are going through that can bring comfort. But if you refuse to humble yourself to say, I need help, then you're going to find yourself suffering all the more. So as we close this morning, let me remind you, don't be surprised at the storms of life. Don't be shocked when the Christian life is hard and challenging. That's what God promised. The smooth sailing Christian life is a myth. Don't forget. Remember this, the key to the Christian life is faith in a promise-keeping God. God never breaks his promises, ever. And he has promised us so much in his word, so be a student of the word. Memorize it. Hide it in your heart that you might not sin against him. And then don't let your trials, don't let the storms of your life cause you to just go inward. Seek the Lord. Find comfort in him. And then ask for opportunities where you could comfort those who are experiencing the same afflictions that you are going through. Let me leave you with some action steps here. First of all, I encourage you, memorize 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. So we read that. That's just talking about we are afflicted, not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken. Just a reminder that these are things that we're going to experience. 
but the Lord is doing these things to conform us into the image of his son. And as he comforts us, we'll be able to comfort others. So I encourage you to memorize that passage. Hebrews, I encourage you, the second thing there, read Hebrews 11. That's the faith chapter. You see all these amazing men who had great faith in the Lord, but really it's about the Lord clinging on to them. Spend some time. If you find yourself weak in your faith, spend some time considering uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And then ask yourself, how is your faith in the storm? When you find yourself in a rough patch, like when things get hard, how do you respond? Are you one of great faith or, or are you one that just kind of allows the storms to lead your, your mind to go sideways? But, but also remember in that that you have a gracious, merciful Savior who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He doesn't roll, God does not roll his eyes at us. He's not like us. He's compassionate. I encourage you to humble yourself. If you find yourself in a storm now where your faith is weak, find somebody to go to who you can confess what your struggle is, that somebody else can carry your burdens. And then lastly, in the midst of the storms, look for ministry opportunities. If you hear somebody who has suffered the way you have, but God has comforted you and you've written down scriptures, you've taken notes, Sometimes people can think, I have nothing to offer. I'm not a biblical scholar. I may not say it right. If, if God's met you and he's given you scripture, do you realize scripture is one of the greatest gifts we can give one another? Because scripture stands the test of time. Our words only go so far. Things like, oh, it'll get better are, are not very helpful. <laughs> Tie it back to scripture. So, I encourage you to take some time this week and ponder those action steps. Let me pray as Zach comes forward and we'll close in a song here. Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And Lord, I praise you that you hold fast to us, that you never let us go. You are merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we can trust you, that you are a promise-keeping God. Lord, that if you have declared it in your word as true, then we can take it to the bank. We can have assurance of things hoped for in your word, conviction of the things that we don't see but are true. So God, thank you that you hold us fast. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.